This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 125 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, with the help of special guest Mary Muscari, we discuss Francis Lawrence's 2011 film, Water for Elephants. We'd like to welcome our guest this week. Mary Muscari is the co-host of the Writing Easy podcast. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hi, thanks. Great to be here. And we are glad to have you. Uh, you were also an alum of Seton Hill Writing Popular Fiction uh, Master's Program, which we both went to school at. So, you know, it's always g- good to have on a, a fellow alum. You know, um, we're family, so we have to take care of each other. Can't get rid of me. <laughs> That's right. Isn't there, in this movie, there was some, there was some fa- family comments being thrown around, I believe, about the, about the circus, right? Maybe? I yeah. don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> I think, no, I think more so than maybe it was like outwardly there in the book. You know, there was sort of like, um, I don't know. I think, I think there was like the comment was actually made like, we're family, like we're looking out for you. Whereas before, whereas right. in the book oh, yeah. And he, he, it seemed like the uh, August was really setting himself up to be kind of the, the father, like the patriarch of the family. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that. Um, Mary, I wanted to to mention that I was on your podcast, the Writing Easy podcast, uh, this last week, and it was great. Thank you. We took, uh, and it was it was an awesome experience. I love doing it, and I hope everybody checks it out. We talked about finding internal versus external motivation for writing, and uh, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a really fun fun conversation, useful, um, and I hope anybody who is a writer or a creative of any sort should check it out. Yeah, no, it was great to have you, and it got really deep. And uh, yeah, no, I think it was a really great conversation. It was great to have you there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast just in general? Like, what is it yeah. What is it about? Well, the, the title fortunately says it all, hopefully. It's about writing uh, and trying to take it easy. So writing is really a hard thing, and people take it very seriously and can get very worked up about it. And so our mission, mm. me and my co-host, Melissa, our mission is to try to help people just chill out a little bit, um, take care of yourself emotionally while you're dealing with the difficult work of writing. Um, and just kind of finding different techniques and tactics and aspects to make it not quite so hard. That's really cool. Luke was telling me that you guys keep it nicely, nicely portioned over there. Like your 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 episodes <laughs> are anywhere mm-hmm. from like fifteen minutes to thirty minutes somewhere in there. Um, yeah, you try to keep them under thirty. Just a quick little in and out. That's so cool because, and I kind of envy that because I have like Luke and I are so long winded on this podcast that like I can't <laughs> even imagine getting anything of substance out in that period of time. <laughs> but like I, I love that you guys you guys have it like set up like that because I feel like it's such a cool way for it's it's very accessible. I think in that way. Perfect thing yeah. is if you're writing and you feel like it's time to procrastinate, you can pull up a podcast and listen to it and then get back to work. Yeah. Uh, so, Mary, you also have a unique perspective on the circus mm-hmm. that I was hoping that you would talk about. And then maybe throughout you can, you know, if you have any other observations, feel free to hit us with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really happy that you asked me to join me for this one because I actually was a clown with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus in 1996 and 97. I graduated from Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College and toured with the Red Unit. Uh, so I actually lived on a train. I worked with clowns and elephants. And so um, they didn't use it so much in the movie, but in the book when they were using terms like, oh, this is the first of May and um, it, this is the spec. And I think they called it the grease uh, truck. We called it the pie car, uh, things like that. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'm totally familiar with what's going on. And I, it was very easy for me to picture everything, which is why then watching the movie was kind of interesting because I – I knew it. I knew all the history. You know, in the book, she talks about how she went to the Ringling Museum in Sarasota. I have been there. That's where Clown College was. So, yeah. So this is – I actually have, like, real-world experience. I mean, it wasn't the Depression, but, you know, I was there, man. I I was a clown. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so cool. Now I just want to listen. I want the whole whole episode (laughs) to just be you telling us amazing stories about being a clown in the circus. It's so cool. It was a very – odd experience. It wasn't what I was expecting. I came from a theater background and uh-huh. the theater culture and the circus culture are very different. And actually, I feel like the mm-hmm. book and to a certain extent, the movie kind of captured some of that, you know, with some of the hazing things that happened um, and mm-hmm. the and the sort of uh, being standoffish at first and then slowly accepting people. Uh, that was mm-hmm. very circus. Whereas in theater, you know, you come in, they're like, hey, you're fabulous. I'm fabulous. We'll be fabulous together. Uh, the circus was a little more <laughs> 
you know, uh, let's see, you know, prove yourself first. So I wasn't used to that. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah. Do they still call the townsfolk rubes? Not as much, (laughs) no. Because we didn't, you know, it wasn't something like where we were were these outsiders coming into these small towns, you know, interacting Uh with them. We were, you know, pulling into a stadium. It was at, it would be at uh, like a basketball stadium or hockey stadium. You were inside. But I lived on a train. Mm. I I had a little roommate. Wow. Um, if you saw those berths that they had in the movie, you know, that they, they were kind of mm-hmm. like too high, I would have like two of those. So I was like, I didn't have a bunk, but I had a, a bunk size thing. And then I lived in that. You know, what blows me away is that when I was watching the movie, I was thinking about how miserable I would be trying to sleep on a train while traveling to the next place. Oh, was, no, it, was it as awful as I think it would be? No, no. Sleeping on the train is wonderful because it just rocks you. Really? And you just conk out. Um, yeah, no, wow. sleeping on the train was really nice. Um, I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have any room. Um, and it wasn't real luxurious. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, at, while we were moving, if it was overnight and we were actually going from place to place, oh man, yeah, rocking like a baby. It was great. That is so cool. I didn't know all of that. I just I knew you had some connections. Um, but I don't think we ever actually have talked about it. So I'm really glad that you're able to share that perspective on this i think uh i think you're gonna have the real inside look at things that we're only guessing at so i'm excited <laughs> to get into it yeah there's some things that the last episode i was like wait but i'll tell you i'll explain oh i gotta get on there let's go i got things to tell you <laughs> yeah well i mean speaking of which i wanted to give you the opportunity because you told us that you you read the book yeah. as well um was there anything specifically that you'd like to touch on with the book any any sort of um preamble that you want to set up there is one thing that i want to kind of set the record straight on And that is, in a larger context, is kind of about how the animals were treated, uh, and particularly the bullhook. And Mm -hmm. the movie, I think, didn't treat this correctly either. So a bullhook is something you use to make sure that this four-ton animal goes where you want it to go. It's a, the the thing, and again, this is what I saw in Ringling. In the Ringling, the animals were treated very well. They were treated better than the clowns were, by far. Uh, Gunter Gable Williams was like there and he, there was no way on earth any of his animals were going to be treated as anything but children because he he's one of those people who are like, like speak to the animals kind of people. Um, so a bullhook is imagine like a broomstick sort of cut in half. And then on mm-hmm. one end, there is a, a sort of a metal peg that's a couple inches long and it's got kind of a a, a hook sort of it's like it like curves over, but it's not pointy at all. And it's never used for never used for jabbing or hitting. That would be idiotic. What they Which do is what we is, saw in the movie. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, what you do is they would reach up, and I'm trying not to gesture. Uh, would reach up and sort of uh, kind of tug on the elephant's armpit, sort of. So like, kind mm. of reach behind its front leg, just to kind of say, "Hey, hey, here I am." Um, it's. Think more like you know how you have a really big dog. I don't know if you. I know uh, Luke. I know you have a big, a bigish dog, but it, like yeah, you know, if you got someone's got like a big like a pity or a, a Rottweiler, you know, one of those mm-hmm. dogs that's like all neck, and then they have a collar that has prongs on it, right? And the prongs mm. aren't to hurt the animal; it's just so that they'll feel it, right? Because otherwise, they won't even notice. It's the same thing. It's a it's a prong. It's a hey hey, come along, let's go. Now, this is not to say that other circuses, other places abuse their animals, but I. The fact that this the bullhook, particularly in the movie, was was portrayed as an instrument of abuse, and that would be like portraying a leash as an instrument of abuse. It's not. It's this is a gigantic animal, and you really need her to go where you want her to go for your safety, the audience's safety, and her safety. And you can't like pat her on the leg. You, she's not gonna feel it. It's all like she's got thick skin. So they just this little tug in the armpit, just kind of say this way, hon. But I'll tell you, those animals were were happy and clean and well cared for. Um, they had chains around their ankle, but that was just to, you know, because you can't have an, an elephant just wandering around backstage. But they were all together. They could touch each other. They could look at each other. Um, the day before I left, I went over and got to meet some of them. And that was an amazing experience because they just wuffled me all over with their trunks. And it was just incredible. Um, so these were, wow. these were happy animals. And... You know, obviously in the book and in the movie, that was not the case. But I just I, yeah. I kind of want to just make sure that that was clear that what mm-hmm. the bullhook was. And it's not it, it's a tool and can be misused, but that's not what it's made for. So that's really my own little 
that that makes keys. sense. Yeah. That I mean, like like many tools, you can misuse them, right? Like that you could mm-hmm. abuse yeah, abuse an animal with it, but it's not its design. Um, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Now, I did read that I think even Ringling like doesn't have elephants anymore, right? Well, Ringling doesn't have anything anymore. They're closed. Oh, they got, okay. Yeah, they're gone. But yeah, <laughs> so they a few years before they closed, they got rid of their elephants. They have a a, a retreat. Not a retreat. What's the word? I'm like preserve. A home for elephants where it's designed for them to be, you know, a safe place for them. And I've actually seen it. And it's, again, very clean, very well cared for. Um, and so all mm-hmm. the elephants went there. Um, and so, yeah, for a few years, they didn't have any elephants. And then they closed down completely because people weren't oh, well. going to the circus anymore. They couldn't keep up. I assume well. there are some other circuses still going, mm-hmm. right? They're okay. small ones. I mean, there's Cirque du Soleil, which is a different kind of circus entirely. It's a very theatrical yeah. sort of thing. And they've never mm-hmm. had animals. Uh, they're just a different a different mm-hmm. thing. But there are small circuses. Yeah, like Circus Vargas, that still exists. That's probably the biggest touring one. But there's, you know, you'll probably find them in your, um, you know, they'll show up in the parking lot of the mall. And you should go mm-hmm. to them. They're kind of cool. It's, you know, it's usually like a family and three or four other people. And the same people are taking your tickets as are on the <laughs> performing. And it's kind of a neat experience. And it's a <laughs> bit nice historical bit of American history you know that you can't get anywhere else so yeah but like animals are expensive they're really expensive and you have to take care of them you know so yeah. th- there's no reason to go again i can't speak for everyone and you know there's the question of should animals ever be in captivity and that i i don't know but i will say that the animals right. that i saw at ringling were treated very well yeah i'm at least happy to know that that's it's not like across the board you know like mm-hmm. I, I am happy to hear that there are there are cases where that's not clearly the case did you guys want to talk about any general things before we move into sort of the filmmaker or anything with this story here? Um, did you maybe maybe let the audience know what uh, what your viewing experience was like? Like, did you how many times yeah. have you seen this movie? Yeah, that's a good question. I want to know, Mary, what your what your history is with this project. Like, did you read the book before you saw the film originally, or or, or what was it? Because I think we've both talked about James and I that we're brand new to this. I had read the book. You know, around the time it first came out, because I think it was because of the circus thing. I'm like, oh, hey, circus. I, you know. mm-hmm. And so I read it. And I enjoyed it. Um, and then I recently reread it. And I, I enjoyed it. Um, didn't see it as a romance as much as I saw it as just sort of a historical story. But again, I'm not a romance reader either. So yeah, it's a squishy genre, really, you know, it, it yeah. kind of. Yeah, because even when I was calling it romance, because I think it is one. Um, it definitely has a lot of other things going on. It's definitely historical fantasy, or not historical fantasy, historical fiction, right? And and that maybe is even its primary genre um, with romance thrown in. I, I would agree with that. Um, but just like all genre discussions, it's always going to get a little difficult to to agree on anything because there's so many nuances to all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did want to say uh, with the film here, I was I was happy to to kind of feel what you guys are. talking about there like sort of uh the story it doesn't feel like a purely romantic story like they i think they did their due diligence of you know making the set feel believable and making an immersive environment of like the depression on a train traveling with the circus like all of these things i think that i think the movie did a great job of kind of portraying all of that so yeah i i had struggled with this movie a little bit um and it's not that i didn't like it um in general, it's more just that I was really struggling to figure out how I felt about it. And there's something about it that I've been trying to figure out and put my, you know, put my finger on that is keeping me from, from enjoying it as much as I did the book. Um, just my initial thoughts. I'm not giving my vote yet. But um, mm-hmm. I... Sounds like you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I actually want to have this conversation and see if I right. if it changes the way I feel at all because... I normally I have a pretty strong conviction about a movie after I watch it. And this one, like I'm a little on the fence about it. Um, so I definitely want to talk about it and kind of like get into some of the things and see if maybe, maybe just discussing it with you two will help me um, kind of come, come along on the movie. We're here. We're here for you, Luke. We'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> through. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I am conflicted and I have specific reasons that I can point to as to why. Um, but just to give an overall general kind of, Uh, word or sentence to describe how I think I feel about this movie is I think that this is the sort of I think that this movie is a product of diminishing returns I think that we've seen this movie this sort of movie 
like take out take out the historical context and i think it's a movie we've seen a lot before i do think there are a lot of things that are that I, that i do really enjoy about this movie i think like i was saying like i think that this set really brought to life this whole world the, the, seeing the animals and i do think it was shot i think it, there are many many shots and and tons of scenes that are brilliantly lit they look amazing and then there are other scenes that look that should be like big moment scenes that are kind of flat and so it's kind of like an inconsistency thing um but overall, yeah, I, I'm pretty mixed on it. Personally. When you say you, you've seen this movie before, what what movies are you referencing? I think I think the filmmaker set out to make a movie very similar to The Notebook. I think this comparisons that okay. we made in the book with the book, saying like this reminds me of The Notebook. I think they Titanic. set out to make something very similar to The Notebook, and like it felt like that to me. Maybe it felt like I don't know if derivative derivative seems like a really extreme word for it, but like mm. just like having seen this movie before, barring the one or two things that you know, that are unique to this movie. They really relied on the setting to do a lot of work, didn't they? Like the circus, that, like they expected that to carry a lot of weight. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because we get a few scenes kind of showing the circus being wondrous and, and you know, this really rich kind of gorgeous thing, but it still feels like proportionately we see a lot more darkness and a lot more of the underbelly and in general, I found this movie to be a lot less fun than the book was. Not to mm-hmm. say that stuff wasn't in the book, but it seemed like where the focus was was a lot more on a lot of the darker, more depressing elements. And uh, just in as amount of like screen time it got, it felt like it was kind of oppressive throughout the story for me, which maybe is affecting a little bit of my judgment on it. It was visually dark too. I mean, I remember like there's a lot of times that now I was sometimes I was watching this on my phone. I had to like like cut my hands around to even see the screen because it was just so <laughs> visually dark, which you'd think, oh, this is a movie about a circus. You know, that's usually a very bright mm-hmm, thing. Yeah. In fact, that it's just like, I can't see anything on the screen. I, I don't know if that was, uh, you know, some sort of thematic choice or something. Mm. A lot of the train scenes were at night. That's what I was going to say. I actually remember it, uh, th- like thinking the exact same thing during the train scenes, which reminds me of the t- when when we we covered Game Game of Thrones with we we did like the season eight Game of Thrones thing, and there was a whole debacle about like was the yeah. scene too dark the the war scene like Uh-oh. was the yeah, Battle yeah. of Winterfell too dark was it too light like all this stuff and I was like is this a T because I'm not currently using my normal TV I'm having to use a hotel TV so I was like is this like a TV setting thing or is this just like it was the scene where he climbs out and is on the train on the outside of the train at night i feel like i couldn't make out any shapes but yeah maybe it was just a tv thing for me okay i just wanted to talk about the filmmaker a little bit his name is francis lawrence and from what i can from what i can tell he kind of cut his teeth making music videos and and commercials and things like that uh before moving into narrative based things uh some of his some of his bigger movies that i feel like people have definitely heard of are uh constantine and i am legend uh, oh, those okay. are two films, two films that he directed uh, before this film, which was Water for Elephants in 2011, and then he would go on to to direct three of the four Hunger Games films. Oh wow! All all but which one? I believe the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, hmm. I think he he directed the last three. Interesting. I mean, and, and uh, I Am Legend is another potential project for us. Richard Matheson uh, novella, I want to call it, maybe short story. Um, so we might cover that one day. It's kind of interesting to see him go from something like Constantine and I Am Legend into Water for Elephants. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went digging and tried to see sort of, you know, if he had a background that kind of backed any of this up. And I realized that he worked a lot with female artists, like female solo artists making music videos. Some of because like Constantine and is a very like comic booky movie. It is. I mm-hmm. mean, it's based off comic. I believe it's based off a comic book. Yeah, yeah no, it is. I just didn't know if that iteration was or not the one with Keanu Reeves. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. I think but it maybe is. it's like some offshoot, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, that's a very specific type of movie. And then to go to I Am Legend, which is like, you know, like, apoc- what is that? Post-apocalyptic sci-fi, mm-hmm. I guess, into Water for Elephants. It felt like kind of a jump. But he, you know, he's worked with Avril Lavigne, Janet Jackson, Jennifer Lopez, Lady Gaga, Gwen Stefani, Pink, Shakira. So Missy Elliott. He's worked with tons, tons and tons of people, as well mm-hmm. as... Um, the Black Eyed Peas, Green Day. He, he's he's done tons of uh, Backstreet Boys, done tons of music videos. Okay. So just kind of interesting to give context to the kind of director that this this movie uh, was made by. Um, yeah. With that, I think we should move into the kind of spoilers section itself. Well, well, first, I wanted to ask you, do you have any information about 
specifically all the animals they had on set. I don't know if you saw anything about that in your research. I was curious because I was like, these are definitely real animals for many of the shots. I mean, there's a couple of CGI times, but for the most part, they seem very real. So I'm curious to know what that was like. So I actually did find some stuff about the animals. Um, I wanted to, like, because of all the use of all these animals and sort of the circus setting, I wanted to know, uh, you know, how filming went with the animals. And uh, I found out that the American Humane Association monitored the animal action. All of the stuff that was go- that went on with the animals was was monitored by them. No animals were, were harmed. It has been confirmed. And yet there was... Um, there was sort of a scandal. I don't know if when around the time that this movie came out, there was sort of like kind of a big debacle that, that happened. I'm not sure. Did you guys hear about this when it was coming out at all? On no? this movie? Okay. No. Yes. So a video surfaced, um, I believe released by ADI, which is Animal Defenders International. A uh, video was released of of Ty, which is the name of this elephant that that was the actor in this film, um, being, being abused with sort of like electric shock um, hook, they're like hooks and then like also like electric shock sort of taser type things. Um, and apparently the video, there was no date associated with it, but eventually it was found that it was from like 2005. And so the people who were actually in possession or who, who were the owners of this elephant, you know, were under fire. Like there was this video of this specific elephant. Uh, and clearly I think, I think it's because you can tell from the colors of this elephant in the front like you, it's kind of easily recognizable but mm-hmm. uh it was being it was being you know i guess i don't want to say tortured but it was definitely being abused mm-hmm. and um originally this story was released because water for elephants was coming out and this this elephant was kind of in the news because of that and then they were like well this is a video of this of this elephant being abused and so like there's like i said there's investigate investigations done and eventually they found that like the people who owned it during the filming didn't own it in 2005, and and then they, it went basically down a rabbit hole of them trying to figure out who did own it and why like why it all went, why it was being abused seemingly. And I guess they the people who they eventually found were were abusing it said that there were certain it was it was doctored like the video had been doctored as well as there was like sections of it that were being cut out and it's like kind of out of context. So. I guess hmm. that's where it lies. I, I don't know if there were any arrests made or anything more than that. All I could really find was that like there was sort of this scandal that was going on at the time that this movie was coming out with this specific elephant. But all that is to say, I guess, that it's been confirmed there were people on set. No animals were harmed in the filming of this movie. Yeah. Um, just I thought I felt like it was it was, you know, Ty, the elephant who was the actor yeah. in this movie, was involved with that. So I thought it should be known that unfortunately this animal was mistreated in some way at some point. Right, and that's a shame, uh, because I thought Ty was maybe the biggest star in the whole movie. Just yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah, she was the best part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, adorable. Uh, the in- intellect of elephants always blows me away. Like I talked about in the yeah. book episode, it's just they are just unfathomably smart. They can do <laughs> anything that they want to do. Like it's they're, I, I don't know. Like when I see the them go up on that handstand, I'm always I cannot believe the they, they can manipulate those massive bodies like that. Yeah. I agree. Oh, it just reminded me of a good story. I have a circus story I'm going to jump in with. So when I yes. we were first starting off, we were in winter quarters. And we were training, you know, like rehearsing and everything. So it was like setting the show up. And, you know, I was the first of May. I was brand new. And one of the other clowns said, all right, now you just got to watch out for the elephants. Got to stay away from their private parts. I'm like, um, yeah, okay. I think that's going to happen. <laughs> He's like, well, you know where their private parts are, right? I'm like, uh, he goes on the bottom of their feet. I'm like, What? Yeah, because if you touch that, you're fucked. <laughs> like, if they, get, <laughs> they step on you, you're fucked. And yeah, so that's that's that level of humor. I, as soon as you were talking about the elephants, it reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine getting stepped on by one would be, uh, yeah, not, not a good experience. Foot. It'd be done. Yeah. But they wouldn't step on you. They're so careful. Wow. And so 1st of May just means new, or is yeah. there more to that? No, 1st of May is new. Because it used to be they'd start on May 1st. It's like when you'd, like a new season would start. And so you'd mm-hmm. be 1st of May. But yeah, any any new anyone new to the circus is a 1st of May. Cool. Interesting. So we're we're first of May of this novel and and book. <laughs> oh, there you go. Very movie. nice. And now we have to begin the hazing. Please remove your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. 
if you guys are ready, I, I'm going to read a synopsis. And then from that, I think we can springboard into some of the differences and some of our favorite scenes, actors, performances, things like that. Things we wanted to talk about. Yeah. And it, it, this is a pretty brief kind of just overview synopsis, right? Yes. So Jacob Jankowski, a veterinary student, is close to graduating when a terrible tragedy forces him to leave school. With nowhere else to go, he hops on a passing train and finds it belongs to a traveling circus. Jacob takes a job as an animal caretaker and meets Marlena, a beautiful circus performer. Their shared compassion for a special elephant named Rosie leads to love. But August, Marlena's cruel husband, stands in their way. Yeah, Hans Landa. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that people were worried he might be getting typecast for this? Christoph Waltz (laughs) had just kind of been the, uh, he had been a Nazi and and was now sort of an animal abusing, uh, woman abusing husband. Yeah, he plays a villain well. Oh, he was so good in this. <laughs> like, he was the one, like, between, I, I would watch a movie with just him and Rosie. Like, honestly, I yeah, didn't yeah. need the other two at all. <laughs> him versus Rosie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and I was, I was going to say earlier, like, saying that Rosie was the best part, I mean, that was her competition, that she she had to outshine uh, Christoph Waltz himself, who was putting on a good performance, I think. Yeah. I agree. He was, you know, I think I think this is Pattinson when he was still kind of trying to find what kind of actor he was going to be and becoming the performer I think he is now. Uh, Reese Witherspoon also kind of had a, a sort of change in her career, I think, after this movie. She, you know, I mean, her and Big Little Lies, and she's a producer now on all kinds of amazing stuff. Was she in, she was in that movie Wild, or am I getting that wrong? Yeah. She was in Wild, yeah. And yeah I think yeah. she was nominated for that. Or oh, maybe yeah. Even won yeah, for she that. carried that whole movie. Was that before or after? Yeah. That was after this? I want to say that was after this, yeah. I yeah. think that was like 2013, if I had to yeah. guess. Yeah. And she was good in this, too. She's good in everything, yeah. but she didn't have much to do. Right, that's the thing, and 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 you know we talked about in the book episode the character Marlena really didn't have anything to do. I thought they gave her a little bit more to do in this movie, but unfortunately, like not enough to chew on to to really give like a great performance that that would you know sort of like Christoph Waltz. I think he just gets to chew scenery as that villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and he he has such a good. I mean, he was well cast because the character is described as being mer- mercurial and having this can be charming and and win you over on one minute and then the next minute just turn to this other villain, just darkness and anger. And he flips that switch so well, right? Like that's what he's yeah. really good at. And God, I hated him. When he, when he flipped that switch, I was like, this guy sucks. I can't wait to see the <laughs> elephant murder you. <laughs> <laughs> and just since we're you know, starting at the beginning, the one thing that, like the first note I have when I was writing this is they could have let him finish the exam. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. Let that two hours. Let the guy finish the exam for two hours. I understand they were compressing yeah. from the book, but like, yeah. hang on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they tell was... him in the room. I know. Like he's yeah. in the room, and they're like, "We're going to tell you about this right now." He hasn't. Yeah. Even, they don't even take him to the hallway. <laughs> Harsh. I was just yeah I, I was like damn I, I was like thinking about the time period I was like maybe the time period had something to do with it and they wanted to rip the band-aid off and let them know like right away or whatever mm-hmm. it was and I was trying to make excuses and then I was like you know what nobody would do that he's yeah. in a, he's in like a massive exam at the end of his at the like literally his final exam to be a vet yeah so I want to back it up even further because the framing device much of the framing of this gets omitted all, all the stuff at the um, at the nursing home is basically gone and we start off with the elderly Jacob coming to the circus. And one of the first things we get is him making fun of this younger guy for having the rings in his face. And I thought it was a really weird spot to start with this character. Me too. Because I, too. I liked Jacob, the old man in the book. I rooted for him. I felt sorry for him. But that was like the one moment towards the end where it felt like a very crotchety old man. And I was like, oh, you know, I like him. I'll let him get away with this. And that was presented at the end of the book. Here we get it right at the beginning where I don't know this man at all. And so my very first uh, thing is I'm like, I don't know about this guy. He seems out of touch. Yeah, it was pretty, I don't know. And the line too was like, get the rings out of your face and maybe something. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what he said, but I was like, this is like textbook, just like, I don't know, ageism or something. Like he just is like, you young whippersnapper, get off my lawn. Yeah. 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 It Weird. Odd. It's not a good, like you want, you want the audience to like this guy. I don't know that this is the way to do it. Right at the beginning here. Yeah. But you did a cute little bow tie. I mean, well, it's the color, right? They had the red and blue and the red and blue on the circus. I thought, you know, I thought that was a deliberate choice. I yeah. didn't even think about that. Yeah, I could see that. So uh, I wanted to mention uh, Paul Schneider, who rolls up with the, he's the guy who rolls up with the wheelchair, who's also with the person with the rings, uh, the piercing. He's the guy he tells the story to. Yeah, he's the his okay. name's Charlie in the, in the, in the story. And right. the only, the only, 
place I know this actor from is Parks and Rec. Um, oh, have you guys seen it? Yes, I was wondering why he was familiar yes. looking. Yes. That's the only <laughs> God, like frame yes. of reference I have for him. And I really do not like him really very much in, in Parks and Rec. So when he rolled up, I was like, so we got the old guy who's being a dick to young people. We got this guy who I already don't like uh, from <laughs> so, his role in so Parks the, and Rec. But maybe uh, not fair, but it was just, I was shocked to see him. To see thank him. you. I, I was like, where do I know this guy from? What is it? And <laughs> I should have looked at IMDb. Yes. So let's talk about Robert Pattinson in this movie. Um, because I think, and I feel bad a little bit, but the guy's, you know, he's obviously got talent. He's going to play Batman. He was in the lighthouse. He's been in other things where he's shown that he's a good actor. I don't think he does a good job with this role. And I think it's one of the main reasons I struggled with this movie is there was a lot of times where his emotional notes just felt a little bit off. He had this sort of weird grin he would do a lot of the time that, it, it, I don't know. It just gave me like a weird feeling like this guy. It just felt wrong. And whenever you're watching acting, you want it to be seamless. You want it to, to believe it. And I just didn't believe it. And that's never good. It was odd because the character doesn't have much to do either. Like he's very passive. Yeah. Jacob is. There's a lot of things where it's like, I mean, I, in the book, too, where it's like, well, what, tell him you're a vet or tell him you're at least partly like, why are you mm-hmm. it just like what? You know, he just doesn't he's not real active. And so. Maybe that's where he was going, but yeah, I was like, he was he was like a, a, a mannequin, just nothing. He was just kind of walking around, just nah, and yeah, it was very yeah. odd. He was trying to give like a subtle performance, but I don't think it was really working. It's interesting because I put in, I made a note of a couple of moments where I felt like I could see flashes of of a good actor, and I and okay. and uh, but I tend to agree with you because I think there was a lot of that brooding, the sort of like. Twilight, post Twilight brooding still mixed with maybe weird, like you said, maybe weird direction, maybe, mm. you know, just weird choices were being made. Um, but yeah, he, he did have sort of a, you know, when an when a actor is, you know, in a certain portrayal, they're supposed to make the audience feel a certain way. I don't think it's necessarily like supposed to say, like, be like, oh, I'm sad now. I, you guys should know that I feel sad. I think they're supposed to make us feel sad as well. Mm-hmm. And I think what I was, I think I agree with you where I wasn't really clicking because I was, whatever emotion I was supposed to feel, I don't know that he was necessarily portraying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it almost felt like it was, it was like, it just cause it didn't quite fit. I do, I do want to say that I, I thought there were a couple moments where I thought he did a good job. Okay. So I like what you said about it maybe being sort of an awkward phase for him where he was sort of transitioning um, into a different sort of actor and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll grant him that. Um, but yeah, just for the, you know, just based off this one movie, I think he was the weak link, honestly, from all of our leads. And, uh, and I think that he does hold the movie back a little bit, unfortunately, not to say that it was perfect. Otherwise, in his defense, there weren't a lot of scenes where he had a lot to work with, you know, and, and part of it was the pacing. Like I, cause I was making notes that he doesn't even meet Marlena until 30 minutes in. So that yeah. whole first, like, he's got all these long scenes where he doesn't, he's, we're just standing there. And so he didn't have much to even portray. So that made it even harder. I agree with that. And and there were times where it, it seemed like he wasn't given any direction at all. It was mm-hmm. like, we're, the scene's going to be going on. We're going we're gonna to pan over to you. And we're going to show your reaction to the scene. But it never seemed to really be evoking anything in particular. Like, oh. it, it seemed purposeless. I have a great example of where I felt where I really didn't buy it. Anytime he was interacting with the elephant, I felt like he was just laughing through it. And I understand like it must be weird to interact with an elephant in that way. Yeah. And it probably would be kind of funny. But like it was like it wasn't necessarily like laugh worthy moments. Yes. When he was interacting with the. His laughing was almost always weird. (laughs) Yes. And, And so like whenever he was interacting with the elephant is a good example of where I just was like this. This isn't really fitting. Right. I didn't get a vibe from him that he was someone who loved animals. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's not good because you got to sell that for that character. Yeah. yeah. And can we mention how like in the, <laughs> and I know it's probably for time's sake, but but in the book, uh, Jacob, when he first looks at the horse, he's like, yeah, this horse is going to need to have bed rest and, and uh, you know, oats and like, all, like be taken care of and all this stuff. And in the movie, he looks at it and he's like, you got to put it down. <laughs> yeah, done. De- Goodbye. Like 100% like, for time. Definitely for time. But yeah, it's hilarious. But it hurts really the character because it makes yeah. him seem kind of brutal. I don't know. I mean, yeah. like he's not, it's supposed to be an act of kindness, but- 
man, I don't know. The pacing was very strange, I feel, like in the adaptation, that they Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time on setting it up and then like rushed through the whole relationship and then boom, there's Rosie and then boom, it's I was like, well, oh, here we are. So I felt like that was kind of strange. And so, yeah, things like that, that whole horse thing, that was like 10 minutes Right. It wasn't yeah. even like like last year was days and, and they're working on it. And then they don't even tell her. Right. That that, that yeah, keep Marlena right. away from it. This time she's mm-hmm. right there. And he's like, bye. Boosh. Like what? Yeah. I wanted to mention the uh, I think it was an obvious choice, but I think it was ultimately the right one. And I think I probably would have made the same decision. And that's to combine August and Al mm-hmm. in the movie. I think it was mm-hmm. a smart thing to do. Um, you don't. It, it, it gives you clarity in a way that the book has. You kind of have two villains, and here you have just and the one. And their names both start with A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to combine them into one yeah. character. But you do. I mean, it's one of those things that like it works better in a movie. But in a, in the book, I kind of liked that there was more than one person sort of working against um, Jacob's interests, and they had subtly different motivations for doing so. Um, which just made the situation a little more complicated and maybe a little more realistic to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I kind of missed it, but I, I get the decision. I think I probably would have made the same decision. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think that the, I, I actually think it, I prefer it because there's sort of um, the power dynamic is, is definitely different from the book, but having him be the actual boss of the entire mm-hmm. show I think made it so that it was like much more dire when he would get into conflicts with August and things like that. Like it was like, not only did it sort of was, did it create like a shortcut in terms of like explaining how, you know, their relationship would create tension in the, um, um, in the circus and all that kind of thing. But it also set up like how powerful this character would be in opposition to, to Jacob. Uh, but I don't. I don't know. I I, th- I think that was one of the things that I did like. Well, I mean, I agree, and I think it's the right decision to make for the movie for sure. I feel like we've been kind of negative so far. Yeah. Um, but if you guys wanted to uh, try to talk about some positive things, what what specifically stood out to you um, as something maybe that you weren't expecting, or that was surprising that you liked, or just in general, what what were your favorite things? I really liked the design. I thought the 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 production design was really nice because I felt like I got. A really good view of how things were. You know, I said I felt like it was very accurate, and it was also evoked it really well. Um, I loved the uh, and it's gonna say, maybe this sounds dumb. I don't know, but I really love the costuming. I like the what they put Marlena in. Her outfits mm-hmm. I thought were really they were beautiful. They were period. I think they also reflected her really well. So it, like it looked great, except for the parts where right. we couldn't see anything. When we could see stuff, I felt it looked really good. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. And I I specifically wanted to shout out Jack Fish, who was the production designer. Um, almost all of the circus wagon carts that appeared in the movie were the original carts from the Ringling Brothers shows. During production, the Circus World Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin, shipped its circus carts to California to be used for filming. Uh, as of late, they are now back in their original displays. Wow, that's cool. I thought that was really cool when I read that because not I, like I agree with you. The costuming was great. The time period, it just feels very nostalgic in terms of like and like a faraway fairy tale story for us at this mm-hmm. point. Um and then just to have that sort of realism, like when they were there with the lions in, in, in the carts and like he played that trick on him with the lion that didn't have any teeth, be- I think because of the set design, I fully bought into it. And and that's to say like a lot of the tent scenes where they're setting the tents up and the score swells and we get sort of like the light coming through the tent. I thought a lot of that stuff looked really great. And I thought there was some very, very solid filmmaking, like the cinematography and some some great specifically camera techniques. Mm. So, yeah, I want to just jump in and, and agree that, uh, in particular, the setting up of the circus whole sequence was kind of a highlight of the movie for me. Like, I love that whole thing. Um, there's a shot of the kind of tent pole getting pounded into the mm-hmm. ground by, like, five guys standing in a circle, each taking, like, a hit in, in sequence. And I just thought that was a great shot and a great moment. Um, that just really sells the time period. And then, yeah, like you said, when he first is like seeing the performances, um, it was, it, you know, it really worked. And um, in particular with that, I was impressed with a lot of the stuff Reese Witherspoon was doing because I kept looking for moments where I was like, this has got to be a stunt double. 
And I was amazed at how often I was like, no, that seems like her. I don't know if they're doing digital trickery or like what, but there was so many times where it felt like she was really on top of that elephant. Um, and I don't, do you know anything about like how they were able to achieve that? They probably put her up on top of an elephant. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's not really that big a deal. Yeah. They you you stand on the leg and you sit there and you hold on. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. But I mean, like actors, like actors usually don't do anything. I mean, they often won't even ride horses. Period. Much less an elephant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I mean, props to her if she really did that. I I just think that is impressive. You know, to to because it's a long way up. At the very least, yeah. if you fall, that's a long way to fall. At the very minimum. But you're on you know? a pretty yeah. big surface, you know? <laughs> like, seriously, because you've got your on. legs, you know, the, and they're behind your ears, and you've got the harness to hold on to. It's, you're pretty, you're mm-hmm. pretty secure up there. I never never got to go up on one, which I regret to this day. But, uh, uh, you yeah. know, I had a bunch of friends that just hop right up there. It was no big deal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I as far as I could tell, I was trying to look for it as well, Luke, for, like, any sort of, like, a stunt double in there. I think she was doing a lot of the stuff, and the stuff that was was – particularly impressive to me was the like the sort of acrobatic stuff she was doing like yeah. she would get up on like a she would get up on like one of those poles those vault poles and the kind of she'd do like some flips around it and stuff and maybe maybe you know they cut away and do a shot of her rolling but there were moments where she was like planking out over top of it and stuff and it was clearly mm-hmm. her um things like that i think she definitely on the trunk like just yeah all, doing she all definitely sorts of, like it seems like she stuff. she almost developed a routine with this animal like for real so. it seemed like yeah i yeah. think so I, maybe maybe they they fooled me, but that's what it looked like. Yeah, potentially. And I did try to find something about it, but I, I just couldn't find anything that said specifically that she like did any uh, full-on training. Uh, I think we definitely need to talk about the fact that this movie's called Water for Elephants, but whereas in the book, I think it was paid off. Pe- I think people could be forgiven for leaving this movie and not understanding why it's called Water for Elephants. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, there's sort of a blink and you'll miss it. Um, moment where they talk about water for elephants. Yeah. But I don't know if people would necessarily catch on to why this is called water for elephants. Yeah. And we mentioned in our cover, our coverage of the last episode that we thought that that was probably some sort of saying, but we weren't sure. Do you know, Mary, if that is like a saying in the circus? No, I think it's just a, a rube thing. You know, a rube would say that that's a, you know, oh yeah, I carried water for elephants. It's like, no, you freaking didn't. Mm-hmm. But I, <laughs> right. you know, again, we, the, the animals were so protected in the, in my circus that you wouldn't, like I, I wasn't, I didn't carry any water for any elephants or any food or anything. Like I, that wasn't, we didn't, we weren't allowed to go do that. That wasn't our deal. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that It's one. kind of weird because the explanation in the book was like, you couldn't possibly carry enough water for them. No. But then I kept thinking like, well, I don't know if that's true. You know, yeah, no, it, a couple <laughs> buckets at a time is probably something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, sure, you need a lot, but I, I don't know. It seemed like a weird definition. It's insane how much they, they eat. And, okay, so I don't know if this is too gross, but um, we'd be walking around the <laughs> um, the Hippodrome track, which is the track that go ar- around the outside, right? So it's, think like a, mm-hmm. like a, like when you're in your uh, uh, football field, you've got the track that you run around outside, and then there's the mm-hmm. circus in the middle. Um, and so we, we walk around the hippodrome track and sometimes you'd be behind the elephant and, you know, okay, the poop was the poop, right? And that, that's, mm-hmm. but dude, when they peed, holy cow, <laughs> it was just like, it just kept coming and coming. You're like, my God, you expected it to get smaller. So if that's how much came out, I can't imagine how much went in. Like, it's just, wow. Fair enough. <laughs> so... I did want to now after that I wanted to make an <laughs> wanted to lean directly into uh do you guys have an interpretation of the title cuz I was kind of trying to think about what so water for elephants clearly you know that's like the joke being made there but there's there's got to be some sort of like love representative like like he's carrying water for her kind of like carrying love for her kind of thing like he could never mm-hmm. have enough love or something like that do you think there's something there in the title or am I just like I don't know am I going too far with it Hmm. So it's it's something that you would do that you think you can do to care for something, but you can't actually do it, right? So he thinks he can care for Marlena, but he does. But maybe he can't because of because of August, yeah. or something. Or August thinks he's caring for her, but he's not. Something like that. Yeah. Well, there's also sort of the insider outsider perspective of the insiders know what this means, the outsiders think it means something. And we see this sort of conflict of that where we have in the book, especially we have the other character who's claiming to have done this thing, yet the person who knows the circus knows that he's lying. And uh, then he gets hit with that when he's a rube himself, um, he gets sort of hit with that. So it seems like the the difference between actually being of the circus and not being of the circus. 
um, is surrounding this. I think that it's also leans it like that's also there with like August thinks that he loves her, but Jacob sees that he doesn't actually love her. Maybe there's Marlena. something like there's sort of like Marlena. Yeah, maybe there's yeah, something yeah. there for for him to see, like he because he's in the inside of the circus as it as it were within this with metaphor. Uh, he he can see that he doesn't truly love her and like you know that's sort of an insider thing. Like yeah, I think I think that's probably what what it is there. Hmm. If I had to put my finger on it. Yeah, so uh, speaking of uh, August and Christoph Waltz, I just wanted to kind of shine a light on him for a minute. I think we, we've already mentioned that we thought he was good. There's a moment where Jacob has to essentially pitch himself, and I was thinking, like, how intimidating it would it be to to have to give an interview to Christoph Waltz in his full, <laughs> like, villain mode. He's got yeah. such menace just, like, beneath every charming thing he's saying mm-hmm. that it's, it would just be so disarming. That scene where he where he has them act the little scene out where he's like, oh, here, I've got this great idea. Yeah. Yeah. He's making them do that. I was like, yeah, that, that stood out. That was an amazing scene. I thought that was really, yeah. really good. I, I wrote down that I think Christoph Waltz, I mean, he is he's an excellent actor, He's very, very good at being a villain. And in this movie, I wrote down that he is delightfully evil because mm-hmm. he is sort of delighting in it with sort of the charm. And it does kind of remind me of, of the, his character from from uh, Inglorious Bastards because it is like there's the charm and like the flipping on a dime and like he's kind of tricking you. He's making you think that, that you're okay. But at the same time, just like very, he uses that kind of calming voice yeah. and then and then is just like, like slowly flips into sort of the, like a just complete monster. Well, and in control, I think he, that's one of the things that really impresses me is that whenever he's in a scene in this movie and in Glorious Bastards and, you know, whenever he's playing this kind of character, he just commands the scene and mm-hmm. he feels like he has he has all the control in the scene. He has he brought tension, right? Like he yeah. the, the like there was no other source of tension. It was just him. And yep. so and that's I think maybe that's part of the, the thing that. I was feeling lacked because when Christoph Waltz wasn't on screen, there was no tension. But as soon as he was, mm. and then at the end when they actually came to blows, when they were really fighting, it was such a release because it was finally all that tension was building up the whole thing. And then finally, yes, punch him, you know, and he's punching. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I do like, yeah, they they, they took out the second time because in the book, the, it, mm-hmm. the whole like abusing Rosie thing happens twice. And mm-hmm. both times he doesn't do anything. And I'm glad they didn't try and do that in the movie because it just would not, like, the one time was enough. Like, I was ready to murder yeah. August after that. They kind of did it twice where he was, well, he was yeah. pushing her, he was poking her with a bull hook like an idiot uh, to get her to get out of the um, the car she was in. And then after, then then the, the, during the show, and this was weird too, during the spec when they were going around, he came over and started, like, threatening Rosie during the spec and then yeah. got mad at her like that didn't make any yeah. sense but yeah no, so it doesn't make any too. sense he, he's yeah you're right I mean and that was kind of the two times I guess um so so you're but right but I, I felt like uh it was a little different and and I think Jacob reacted more in the movie than he did in the book in the book I was very frustrated with how little he did he was like well I can't do anything I'm mad about it but I'm not going to do anything and at least in the in the movie he like tried to stop him you know, and tried to say, you can't do this. And they, they followed him to the cart and like literally tried to physically stop him from going in and had to be restrained. Yeah. That did not happen in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk about the animal abuse just because, you know, it happens in the book. But for me uh, personally, like there's there's a difference between reading about animal abuse and uh, like physically seeing animal abuse. And yeah. it was it was pretty it was it, I don't know. I, I think that it was this hard to watch. It was very hard to watch, and I was getting like like physically angry. Like I, I yeah. was actually getting like really upset by it, which I yeah. wasn't expecting. You know, I think it was like yeah. uh, I was in the book. I was like, "Oh, this sucks. I hate that this kind of stuff happens." But seeing it was a different story for me. So I think, I mean, it was effective, yeah. and it did what it was supposed to do. In, in the book, it happened off screen too. You know, we we stayed with Jacob. And yeah. we didn't see it happen. Whereas in the film, he mentions we he could like it. hear it or something. Yeah, but, yeah. but he never saw it. And this was we yeah. saw it. We saw him hit, and, and that was yeah. I that was hard. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's it's affecting stuff, and you know, I think it's it's even more affecting because we've not only have we seen that, but we've also seen Rosie. Um, I was thinking in particular the moment where she pulls her stake out 
walks over to the big bucket of lemonade, dips her trunk in, takes a drink, mm. goes back over and puts the steak back in the ground. And like when she did that, you know, I'm just in love with this elephant now. Mm. And they just did such a good job. And you're seeing a real elephant do it, you know, is yeah. what's it's really impressive to see that. And then maybe they need to learn to put her steak in a little better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just funny because it's like, I'm just, I'll, I'll leave it in, but I can take it out whenever I want, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny to think about. Yeah, so uh, moving into the end, um, they did some changes with the final showdown um, during the Stampede. Um, and in particular, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, we see August trying to strangle Marlena and yeah. kill her. And um, and then we see Jacob try and intervene. And I absolutely love this moment, and maybe for like a weird reason, but I just loved how he tried to... He tried to intervene, and the big the big guy, I think it's Blackie, Blackie, um, yeah. who who just he keeps punching him, and the guy is totally unaffected by it. Like he's like he could be laughing at him, but he's not. He just like he's just not even annoyed. It's just nothing. And I loved that because so many movies, the the lead character is like all of a sudden a badass. Yeah. And I just love that he is not a badass at all. He can't throw a punch. He has no chance of besting this guy. And um, and then it takes Rosie to intervene. And then, um, yeah, I just thought it was also ironic that we see. I don't know if you've seen Inglorious Bastards. I don't know if this, if this is, is, is uh, makes sense to you or not. But we see Hans Landa again strangling a blonde woman in a movie. So I don't know what's up with that. He's ta- typecast again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought we were going to see Rosie. Like my my imagination of the scene. It's like a straight poke through through the back of the head. Th- oh, straight. Okay. We were going like, to see a hole impaled. in front of us. See, I never <laughs> even didn't get that from the book either. You guys were saying about how it stabbed. Like, I always thought it was a thwunk. Like, like you gotcha. said. Well, yeah, I like, think it said something about splitting the head open, I think is actually split, how it's split described. Split open like an I'm, egg. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so that's back. pretty bloody, regardless of whatever that is. That's pretty so bloody. So I, I, think, I think based on the animal abuse, I just made, like, formed my own murder uh, yeah. that, I would, that I would perform on this guy. <laughs> yeah. It was, I, I was, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. I like that Rosie did it. I like that they actually had a real elephant do it. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah. even if it was acting. Oh, and I did see uh, something. I was watching something that was talking about sort of how they achieved some of it. Clearly, CG augmented for for Christoph Waltz character for August stabbing Rosie in that scene with the bull the uh, the bull hook. Bull hook. I wanted to say bullhorn for some reason. <laughs> Please <laughs> with <stop>. the bull. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't so, be as painful, I don't think, to be stabbed yeah. with a bullhorn. <laughs> So the bullhook, uh, they're, they're sort of like they lunge and then they just like CG make the stabbing look more realistic. Same thing with, mm-hmm. with the Rosie hitting Christoph Waltz in the back of the head. There's like sort of a, I think they probably cut a frame or two to make it look like it was like more of a violent hit as well. And, um, you know, CG augmented that. So, uh, I mean, I appreciate that. I think you could see it. Oh, which also reminds me that, you know, this came out in 2011 and, and I think most of that stampede was CG at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, um, and I thought it looked, it looked like pretty it. solid. Like I, 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 it didn't break my immersion or anything. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, what did you think of the change of of having it be sort of this moment where August is trying to kill Marlena? I, for some reason, I felt like it was implied in the book that that would be the eventual outcome anyway. So I think it was just kind of like taking that next extra step to to make it more violent. Yes, I mean, so so you liked it. It sounds like. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was fine with it. I liked it. I don't know if it. I don't know if it made it better or worse personally. I think it made it a little more dramatic, a little more urgent. You know, and and because honestly, again, visually, you think about that stampede, all that happens is he stands there and he sees Rosie and he's like, don't do it. And Rosie does it. And yep. if that's mm-hmm. that's not a climax of a movie, you know, like that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I could see why they did it. I just thought it was interesting that Blackie was just like, yeah, no, she, he's going to kill her. So I'm just going to stand there and let you know, like, don't stop her because he's killing <laughs> yeah. her. He's choking her to death. But that's cool. Like, really? <laughs> this is OK with yeah, you? Yeah, right. <laughs> so so i did want to talk about one more scene uh marlena and jacob go to they like run away to the hotel they have sex together mm-hmm. um then they like go so they go back by choice this time right or no they don't go back no no no, no, no they she's her. she's yeah. in the book they go by choice and she's kidnapped in this how do we feel about that change did you feel like that i think that again added like some more drama uh, and then it led directly into him kind of grabbing the grabbing the knife and, and heading down to try to kill try to kill um, August to find them in bed together. Yeah. And then she looks at him, which is different than the book too. Yeah. yeah. And he's a sound sleeper. Um, well, plus also, I don't know if if I hadn't read the book, if I would have understood, because he comes back, first of all, it's like, that's a long ass walk, but 
okay. Um, because the train <laughs> left. You know, so he like yeah. walked. It got all... stuck on a tree, clearly. Yeah, for a long sure. time. <laughs> um, because you know trees always stop trains. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he gets there and and he goes back to his car, and he's like, oh, um, Camel and Walter are gone, and you figure something bad happened, but you don't really like the fact that they've been red lighted isn't really made clear she explains it later in the scene i don't think we realize but later yeah. someone says like oh they were killed we they found their bodies and they're dead but i can see what you're saying like being on the same page as it was as it was happening i don't know if yeah it's like they're gone but where did they go like why are they yeah. gone yeah i can see that we also needed more queenie i was a little disappointed they didn't have enough queenie <laughs> no not enough queenie <laughs> It was a it's a sad moment in both uh, uh, book and movie, and it kind of comes out of nowhere when those two guys die. Though, um, you know, his he, I didn't feel as close to them maybe in the no. film as I kind of did in the book, but but still, it's it's pretty brutal and and just senseless violence, and it definitely kind of seals the fate of August. Like this is obviously too far after it everything is, else you did. It is funny when uh, when we read these stories and then watch the movies, how sometimes I'll pull in the context that I have for the book. So mm-hmm. like I, I think I liked those characters and felt, you know, I was upset when they died even more so because we had that context from the book. And I'm just like yeah. pulling in sort of the extra scenes that maybe we didn't see that were deleted scenes or whatever <laughs> yeah. that, that we had in the book to sort of add to their to their relationship. So I felt like that was this the case here. I think I cared about the characters more than maybe the movie deserved like maybe the movie mm-hmm. didn't set set it all up and, and do the work for it but i i think i think i like them another you know queenie did the work another animal <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i've said in the past i and i i stand by it i really think it is a unique way to experience a movie um that's an adaptation is to read read the book right before seeing it i really think it affects it'll affect your viewing whether or not it's better i don't know yeah but it's definitely different <laughs> it's funny because it can give you a certain certain bias like you're like yeah. you you'll like certain characters even though they're not necessarily like i said maybe they don't deserve it in the in the movie they didn't earn it but you like them because of the context from the book or you know you'll be set off by something that you're like oh i can't believe they changed this totally yeah. you know ruin the message of the story and things like mm-hmm. that whereas like you know you may be more forgiving if you if you didn't just read the story and I think I know for me, if I do that, I start to get pissed off at the movie for not being just like the book, even though that would make the movie like seven hours long and <laughs> yeah. it would make a really boring movie. I'm like, but it's wrong because that's what I experienced first. I think if I had seen the movie <laughs> and then read the book, I'd be mad at the book. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, that happens sometimes. I, I think there are other times where I, I I feel like I've read a book, seen the movie, and the movie's a big change, but, like, I'm on board for the changes, and, like, I get it, and I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here, and I can kind of delight in that in a way that if I didn't have the connective tissue as strong, I might miss, or I might just go, oh, this feels way different, and not really, like, see why. Um, so it, it, it can work both ways, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's not always it's not always negative. <laughs> it, it can sometimes actually be positive. So... There is one more scene that I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. It was the at the end. Instead of um, kind of having issues with his memory, he is um, he is seems to be there fully, but he's just being abandoned by his family. And then he's he's he basically is like, "Are you going to give me a job or what?" And he's running away to the circus. But see, I think the cha- it was a nice and welcome change because we talked about how it was kind of elder elder kidnapping an elderly person in, in yeah. the book it felt like to me and then in this case it seems like he's he's gonna jump on and be a part of the circus one, one last time for and and be helpful potentially at least oh one of the thing that that office that charlie's office felt so true to a circus office because it was clearly really? like this trailer and that terrible paneling and stuff like that <laughs> that's absolutely dead on um so that felt like a like a circus thing but yeah i, I do like that he was just like here, look, I'm up. I'm good. Let's just, you know, I'll, I'll sell tickets. Let's do this. And mm-hmm. as opposed to, and the guy, even the guy said, like, are you okay? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> so I, I agree with that. I, there was one thing I didn't like. Um, I felt like they hit the note about him running away to the circus um, too hard because they they spell it out. And he says, oh, you're going to be the oldest person to ever run away to the circus. And he says, I'm not running away. I'm coming home. And it just was like, that's maybe a little too on the nose for my yeah. taste. Um, I like that it was kind of left unsaid in the book. And I don't um, think he really, we really saw the circus's home. I Like at no point yeah. did he, I mean, like he talked about later in Ringling it was home. But like 
his entire experience with that ex- that circus was yeah. awful. Pretty rough. Like, yeah, we just saw a, like, a horrible traumatic home. event. Like, that was terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm returning to the source of my trauma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's about time to take our vote. What do you think, James? You got anything else you want to hit on before we do our vote? I'm ready for the vote if you guys are. All right. Well, I, we're going to have the guest be the, be the t- potential tiebreaker. I'm going to start off. Um, I think I've already tipped my hand a little bit, so I'll start off. Um, I am going to go with the book for my choice. Um, while I enjoyed certain aspects of the film, um, I thought uh, the you know the the performance by the elephant in particular was amazing. Rosie was great. Um, I think uh, Christoph Waltz was an engaging villain. Uh, a lot to like in this film. Um, it just ultimately fell flat for me, based mostly off of a what I think was kind of middling performance. Um, maybe to put it kindly <laughs> for our lead, um, and some tonal issues, some writing issues, some pacing issues. We've kind of outlined them throughout. It's enough for me to to, to take a, a slight second place to the book. Um, so I'm going to give it to the book. What about you, James? Yeah, I mean, you just spelled out basically everything for me. There was a, it was a, there's sort of some inconsistency in terms of pacing. Um, there's like it doesn't really feel like it was as focused as it could have been on like the relationship as well as like the, we talked about before the fun of the circus. I think there was like one fun scene and then the rest of it was kind of just dramatic as we talked about. Uh, so for that reason, I'm taking the book. Um, really? Yeah. It's just, okay, I, I'm I mean, kind of surprised there were, I mean, there were things to like in this movie for sure. Absolutely. I think, and I think visually they did a lot that I liked, but like, yeah, I think there's like there's a difference between spectacle and substance, right? Okay, all right, Mary, it's your turn. Your floor is yours. Which let's make it prefer? unanimous. Yeah, book, book, book. Uh, the okay, the film. I mean, I'm biased anyway. I tend to bias toward the book, and the movie has to prove itself. And I felt mm-hmm. it just didn't really do it. It didn't add anything. It took away a lot. And while it was great to visualize everything, and it was beautiful, and they, again, yeah, there's some fantastic performances, I simply cannot forgive it for cutting Bobo the chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. We didn't even mention that. Yeah, and that was, a, that was a, a memorable moment from the book. Yeah, all the interactions of Bobo. No Bobo, no love. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that's going to be a good place to leave it with this with this project. Um, uh, shout out to Jamie D, our patron who commissioned this uh, with an assist from Stephen E. Um, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of Water for Elephants. Um, thank you for doing it, and um, we appreciate uh, you, you know, helping fund this podcast and keep it going. Uh, Mary, before we let you go, where can people find uh, the Writing Easy podcast and and you if they want to follow follow you in your writing? I, uh, I've been tweeting a lot lately. I'm Geeky Mary on Twitter. Uh, and then the Writing, Easy Pod- the Writing Easy Podcast is basically just the Writing Easy Podcast everywhere. Um, find it where you find things. Um, come out subscribe. weekly. <laughs> subscribe, like, subscribe, smash that button. Um, <laughs> That's right. Hit that bell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, and then I, I'll, I'll tweet a lot about, uh, you know, stuff. Perfect. <laughs> and check out the episode uh, that I was just on if you're curious about that. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, it's the most recent one. Yeah, I think I think everybody would enjoy it. So give that a listen. Uh, it has been great having you on. Been Thank you for pro- pro- providing the real world experience perspective. Uh, that was awesome and not something we typically get to have on this podcast. So very cool. Uh, may, may all your days be circus days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary. We Thank appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks once again to Mary for coming on. It was so much fun and you had some great insight. So yeah, we just wanted to thank you again. Hear, hearing about someone who was actually in the circus was pretty pretty amazing. So definitely shout out to her for, for joining us. Um, and once again, shout out to Jamie D and Stephen E, um, you know, for commissioning this project. Um, it was a lot of fun to cover and you know, thank you for doing that. Patrons extraordinaire. Absolutely. And if you wanted to find out how to commission a project of your own or even just, you know, get in on the bonus content that we have on our Patreon, uh, go to patreon.com slash ink to film and you can find all the tiers we have on there and what we're offering. So definitely check that out. And thank you again to both of them. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All of those at ink to film and make sure to follow our Council of Inklings on Facebook. We post polls in there, which decide some of our projects occasionally. Um, we post any sort of news we see about adaptation related things, 
book, TV, movie things. So check that out. It's a great way to stay connected and, and see what's coming up for us. Absolutely. And if you liked this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you use. Or if you are unable to leave one on the app you use, maybe uh, go head over to Facebook and, and, and review our page or something like that. Um, we just love to see it and it helps us get the word out and let other people know that this is something worth checking out. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, so here we are at the end of the episode, and we wanted to announce that next week we are actually taking the week off, but we are going to be putting out an episode. Um, It's going to be a little different. What we're doing is we're taking a uh, formerly a patron-exclusive episode, and we're going to put it out on the made feed. We're going to call it a From the Vault episode, and it's going to be for The Thing, which is the prequel, which was made later, to the original Thing, which was a remake of The Thing from Another World, which was an adaptation of Who Goes There. There we go. That's easy to remember, right? Who Goes There. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. Boom. All right. Just make sure that if you didn't follow that, <laughs> rewind 15 seconds and listen to it again. Um, <laughs> and before anybody says it, we know that From the Vault is a Disney thing, but they stole the best phrase that I we didn't possibly I didn't know that, use. but you knew that. <laughs> so if, if you think that From the Vault sounds familiar, it's because Disney puts their movies in the vault for the home releases. Yeah. Hey, we have a vault too. We have a vault also, so Disney's not the only people. That's right. Um, I don't know how that works anymore with Disney Plus. Clearly, the vault is open. So yeah, the vault's been open. So we have the vault vault thing now. Yeah. Uh, Also, if you're looking for our next major project, we're going to do for like an episode proper. We're going to be getting into The Outsider by Stephen King uh, following next week, and I'm very excited to get into it. I'm hearing good things about the show, so we're going to be covering the book and show um, over the course of, I believe, three episodes. So stay tuned for that. Start reading now if you want to get a head start on it. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait. My girlfriend's been watching it without me, and I've been oh. like dying to watch it. So <laughs> I'm really excited to finally break into it. All right. Uh, I am ready for that. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. But until next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>